Thanks for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. We pray that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith in Jesus. We are happy to provide this resource to you, but as you know, this alone cannot meet the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we hope you'll be able to join us this Sunday at 10 a.m. Or if you're not in the area, give us a call and we'll do our best to help you find a good church to visit. For now, here is this week's message. So good morning. I'm glad to be here with you as we continue our study in the book of Matthew, where we're walking verse by verse through this gospel. I hope you're enjoying it. I'm enjoying it uh, tremendously. And and this week, I've actually heard uh, a few comments, some good comments about how last week's sermon really helped people uh, think about anger and frustration and kind of even help them deal with it in, in the moment. You remember the first thing we do, the first way to deal with any problem or any sin or any issue may have is just identify that it's an issue, right? So did any of you, I want to ask by a show of hands, did any of you throw an adult temper tantrum this week? Any of you ever lied in church? Everybody else, go ahead and raise your hands. All right, so I did. I threw one, and Jessica, she was busy, you know, working, kids, focused on all this stuff that needs to go on in the house, and I wanted attention. So I huffed and I puffed. I didn't blow the house down, but I tried, all right? But I just kind of walked around and was just frustrated, and then I just told her, listen, I'm throwing an adult temper tantrum because I am needy. Do you know how embarrassing that is to admit? It's one thing to to just admit that I'm throwing a temper tantrum to my wife in the moment of me being, well, acting like a child. It's another thing to stand in front of all of you and admit that I had an adult temper tantrum this week, but listen, I did. I just owned it. And it's embarrassing, but listen, being vulnerable and honest about my temper tantrum, but while it's hard, but, but in the local church, as, as our community of faith, as a church, we need to start practicing that being vulnerable and being real and being brave with our brothers and sisters in Christ to actually talk about some of the issues we have going on, to talk about what we're dealing with and why we're dealing with it and perhaps even get, get some help. You see, Jesus taught people to be emotionally and Um, excuse me, be emotionally aware and healthy far before it became popular in in psychology and trendy. This is super important for the Christian. I don't say it's easy, but I say it's super important for us to just be vulnerable and honest and really monitor our hearts. And if we can't be honest about that in the local church, if we can't be honest with our other brothers and sisters in Christ who are trying to live out the same standards that is God's word and we're trying to work through this, if we can't be honest with each other, I mean, who are we supposed to be honest with? How do we get help? How do we deal with what's going on? I mean, if we were to create a culture in our church that everybody has it together and everybody's perfect, well, what do you think that communicates to the outside world? That either A, We just have this holy huddle and they'll never be invited because they're not perfect. Or B, well, that Christians are lying and they really do have stuff going on and they just don't tell anybody about it. Which one you think is more likely? It just depends. So show of hands, let's do this again by show of hands. How many people 
through an adult temper tantrum this week? Same amount of people. The rest of you are just perfect. Wow. Hmm. Well, if you thought being vulnerable about that was hard, which many of you do, obviously, because you're not going to fool me to think you didn't get angry this week. It's just not possible. If you thought that was hard to be vulnerable with, just wait to what we talk about today. Because the day is really tough. And we have to start being honest as a church because Jesus is continuing his thought. Remember, this is the big idea. We landed on a couple of weeks ago and then he explains it out. Matthew 5, 20 says this. He says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, which were the people who had it all together, he says, you will never enter And that needs to bother you, that needs to convict you, that needs to stress you out quite a bit. Because he says you'll never enter, you'll never be a part of what God is doing. Because Jesus told his followers they need to be doers of righteousness, not just thinking about righteousness. Not just worried and consumed about personal holiness and just me and myself. He wants us to actually do and be righteous with, with others. And we learn that the teachers and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were all about keeping the letter of the law. In fact, they wouldn't just keep the letter of the law, they would create rules around the law so you didn't even get close to breaking the law. So it was just rules upon rules. They could have checklists. Yep, didn't do that today, didn't do that today. I must be doing all right. But their hearts, their hearts were far from God. And the reason why we know they were far from God is because when he showed up in front of them, they rejected him. They pushed him away. They didn't want to hear what he had to say. You see, last week, this is what we were told. He says this, verse 21. He says, but you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. And if you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. And remember, this is one of the big 10. He reinterprets it around himself. He said, I've come to fulfill the law. And then he lays out what it needs to look like going forward. And so what we learn is we're not under the law. We're not under the 10 commandments any, any, any longer. But now we're under the teachings of Jesus and he gets to the heart of the matter. It's not just about killing someone, it's about the anger that you let fester within. And so he gives this new teachings for the people of God under him. And this time and today what he deals with was sexual purity. And sexual purity is perhaps one of the most misunderstood and largest attacking points on Christians. And if I'm honest, Attacking Christians for what we believe about sexual purity, what we, we probably should be, because we should be very counterculture. I mean, what Jesus says is pretty radical and should convict every single human, all of us. But when it comes to sexual purity, Christians aren't known for actually promoting the teachings of Jesus. We're known for promoting the Old Testament laws. And like we've went over, unless you're an Orthodox Jew, the law's not for you. But Christians, if if we're being honest, and we talked about we need to be honest, if we're gonna be honest, Christians publicly like to pick, uh, pick on specific sexual sins. 
that of homosexuality. We like to point on that and pick on that. And I've heard people actually quote Leviticus on this matter. Here's what it says, Leviticus 20, 13. It says, if a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. They, both, they must both be put to death for they are guilty of a capital of offense. It says what it says, but when I hear this quoted publicly, no one ever says this last part. Because can we actually do that? I mean, can we actually put someone to death? If you're unsure about this, I'm glad you're here today. We cannot. That, that is not our lane. And so what we do is we're like, okay, well, we can't really follow that, so we got to modify it. We have this moral law they had, and then civil law. We're not under the civil law, but under the moral law. And they do these gymnastics around something that we're just flat out not under any longer. We're not under the law. But we learn that that means it's, what it said isn't invalid. It's a principle we can learn. So we can learn that, okay, God doesn't approve of homosexuality, got it, but then we also understand that the same thing goes with adultery, rape, divorce, premarital sex. I mean, the list is pretty long, folks, about what sexual morality, the things that God does not approve of. And so we discover this, and we learn that the Bible has a lot to say about sexuality because God created, if you didn't know this, it's pretty important, he created sex. So he has a lot to say about it. He created us as sexual beings. But rather than just having a checklist of what to do and what we can't do, Jesus absolutely clarifies on what this looks like for a Jesus follower. And why this is so important is because if we lean in and listen to Jesus, we will, at least us in this room, we will absolutely stop picking on specific sins and start realizing there's a much greater problem because Jesus gets to the heart. Remember, Jesus wants us to monitor our heart with this stuff. And the culture that he's working in, well, men were allowed to do a lot more than women. Right? When we look at Paul's letters, talking to non-Jews, we learned when we went back 1 Corinthians and we learned about a whole lot of stuff we probably didn't want to know about. Me too. But what we learned was that they had pretty open sexual ethics, meaning um, for, for Gentiles, the wife was used for strictly baby making and then anything else that was human was available for sexual relationship. And that's what they did. The wife was just for babies, and that's it. But for the Jews, they were a little bit more conservative. They were not open to the homosexual experiences because of laws like this, at least not, at least not publicly, right? And so men were able to have sexual relations with more than just their spouse, though, as long as it wasn't another man's spouse. So they're not allowed to sleep with another man's wife, but... They slept with other women. And we see that littered all throughout the Old Testament. We see those practices. But women, well, they weren't allowed to do anything like that because they are property. And this was pre-DNA, so the practical aspect of it, they were saying, well, how will I know if it's my baby if she's sleeping with other people? So it was all about knowing who their children is and all that kind of stuff. But adultery was okay for the male in this patriarchal, chauvinistic culture, but not for the wife. And so we see this, and I'm not too sure how they got around this. Look at the seventh of the 10th commandment. It says, you must not commit adultery. 
Now, do you see any wiggle room there? They did, evidently. She's like, well, we, we can't really do this. I don't, I don't know how they justified that, well, men were allowed to sleep with other people. I mean, David had multiple wives. He slept with Bathsheba. He broke the Ten Commandments, but yet he was David, right? I mean, we see this throughout Solomon, all throughout the Old Testament. We see men not following this rule, and it's like, well, how do they get around it? Well, I guess the same way which we get around it today. We like to point at everybody else's sin and not pay attention to what's going on in our hearts. Or there's cultural acceptable sins that are okay. And so if it's okay with culture, then it's not that big of a deal, but there are some that aren't. So we attack those ones. But Jesus... Jesus being Jesus clarifies this whole thing for us. Here's what he says. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew 5, 27. He says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. And they're like, yeah, Jesus, we heard this. This is one of the big 10. We know it. Can't commit adultery. He's like, right, no adultery. He's like, yeah, I'm not allowed to sleep with another man's wife. Got it. He's like, no, no. Let me clarify this for you. Let me clarify Verse 28, he says, but I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So according to Jesus, he says the act of lust is adultery. And because you are human, you're gonna have to deal with this. You're gonna have to work through this. And so the idea is like, okay, I get it, Jesus. I'm not allowed to have lust. So they would have heard. That means I won't look at another man's wife. Got it. To which Jesus says, that's not what I said. It's not about you just looking at another man's wife. It's anyone who even looks at, what is this? A woman. He's like, all right, Jesus, got it. When I get married, I will no longer look at women lustfully. He's like, no, no, hold on. No, no, you missed it again. Anyone? Anyone who looks at another woman in lust? So, so it's not just for married people? Jesus is like, correct. Anyone who's allowing lust, who's using this lust, they're already committing adultery in their heart. He said, well, how am I committing adultery if I'm not even married? That doesn't make sense. And that's when it's important to know our scriptures. And we learn that Jesus, I mean, that, that God considers us walking away from him or desiring other things more than him is considered adultery to him. He calls Israel adulterers all the time. So there's something larger going on. And because I believe that Jesus believes in equal opportunity offending, we can understand that Jesus is not just calling out men here but calling out women too, that both of us are in the same boat when it comes to this idea of lust. So this is for all of us. But what is important to see is that he is specifically honing on all men because men were allowed to do all sorts of things. And he's like, nope. And he doesn't blame the woman. He tells you to deal with your heart. He says it's what's going on in your heart. And now what this means for Christians if we want to do picket signs about this stuff, we need to have picket signs about anyone who's ever lusted. I don't think many people do that, do you? When the picket sign points to us, we'd be like, you know what? I'm good. But this is what Jesus lands on. Anyone who's looking at people lustfully, you've already committed the act to which God says, no. 
And nobody's gonna put those signs up, especially if you've been through puberty. Nobody. And let's just be real. And yet this is what Jesus calls out. This is the core issue of our faith. Not specific people committing specific sexual acts, but lust. What starts in the heart, what comes, what starts in the eyes and goes into the heart. And I have, and you know this about me, I have a very hard time with the hypocrisy of our Christian culture when it comes to this issue. It's so easy for people to ignore their sins and land on other people's. I was sitting at a, at a thing where I heard a guy talking about it. It was a well-meaning Christian. And he was talking about how our culture is going the wrong way because their openness to sexual sins and how our country is going in the wrong directions, the yada, yada. I mean, you, you've been through those. Like, I've heard that a billion times before. And yet, however, in the same breath, kind of smirked and made this comment about young men going to the beach and looking at girls. And I thought, have you missed what Jesus said? Like, that's not okay. We, we, we can't pretend one's okay and the other's so wrong. Lust is the issue according to Jesus. We can't condemn one group and give the other group a pass. We have to realize this is a sin thing. But isn't that what we do, folks? We're sympathetic to people who share our issue, but we condemn those who have a different issue. But Jesus, he's brilliant. He gets to the heart of it. And this is why Christians can be the most sympathetic, most empathetic people on the planet and yet still stand on truth because Jesus goes after lust the heart issue, the heart problem, the thing that needs to be dealt with. And although people have different type of lust issues, all human can understand that, we can all relate and realize that sin is sin, lust is lust, and Jesus tells us to monitor that, get rid of that. And so lust, lust it's an issue for all of us. And if we step back, we can understand why. Remember, Jesus interprets the law around three parts. He says, to love God, to love yourself, and to love other people. Everybody knows, I mean, even non-Christians understand Jesus talked about love. We just, Christians should understand what that love looks like. But Jesus wraps it all into love, and lust is void of love, Lust is void of love and it has no place in the Christian life. Lust is looking at a human being as an object of desire. And the key problem with that is, is that people aren't objects. People are human beings made in the image of God. People are the point. Just looking at someone, looking, oh, they, they'd be good for that. No, it's a human being. That's God's child. It's a person. And that's what we do. We objectify people. We think they're less than. They're not important. They're not good enough. They're just some other thing to which Jesus says, no, I'm dying for all of them. He died for them. They're creatures made in the image of God. And so as Christians, we don't need to condemn people who sin. They're already condemned. Read John chapter 3, 16 through 20 already happening. Our job then is to help people understand Jesus and become saved and get to know him and allow all of that to be redeemed by the work he's done on the cross. Condemnation's already here. 
We are to be the ones helping people find out about the rescue plan and about Jesus who's come to save, so lust is void of love. We are called to love, and that is the issue we're dealing with here because both love and lust have a consuming effect. And for the Christian, we're called to love. And when it comes to love, God defines the parameters of the human relationship. He created our sexual desires to be dealt with through the marriage relationship, not through an object, but through your partner, through your spouse. And it's a great thing, and the Bible lands on it, lets us know that a marriage is between a man and a woman. And Christians aren't being short-sighted on this. We're not being narrow-minded. That's what the scriptures teach, that marriage Um, The context for our sexual expressions is through marriage, which means everyone has to deal with this issue. Everyone has to deal with the lust issue. If you look at the history of the world, you will clearly see that men have a monogamy problem, monogamous problem. They have a big problem with this. Left to their own natural desires, I can't speak for women here, but we see it through the pages of the world. Through the pages of the world, we see that men tend to treat women as objects, They seem to have no problem with multiple sexual partners and left to their own nature, they will just have polygamous relationships. But they have to give that to Jesus. They have to turn that over to him and say, hey, this isn't what you have for me. This isn't what you want for me. People aren't things. People are made in your image. And this isn't easy for them just as it isn't easy for other people to work through theirs. Everybody has this issue. And that's my point. Every single human being on this planet, when we lean in and listen to Jesus, we'll find they have a lust problem. Just like an anger problem. Which is why discipleship to Jesus is about self-denial. Look at what he says, Matthew 16, 24. He didn't didn't hide this stuff, by the way. He was very open with it. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You mean my way? Yeah, your way. What about this? Yep. You mean my way, Jesus? Yeah, you don't know what you're doing. I created you. I want to help you. Lean into me. Give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross, Jesus. That sounds like it might have a hard time. He's like, yeah, crosses aren't comfortable. So give it up and come to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. And you're like, hey, well, Brian, that's a little bit unfair. No one ever said life was fair. But we serve a just God. We can count on that. And so some people may have to give up more than others. I get it, but we all have our issues. We all have our things that we have to give up to follow Jesus. And this is a human thing. And so Christianity at its core, it's not just picking on one sexual sin. Some people are better than others while others are loaded in pornography. Absolutely not. Christianity is an anti-lust because it's an anti-treating people as objects. Faith. We believe all people matter. All people made in the image of God. We believe they're sons and daughters of the high king. I mean, that's serious. And so that's how we treat every person we encounter, that people are more than things. And so all people have to restrain their lusts and their sexual desires. This is the calling from Jesus to put this stuff to death. Then we go, well, how serious was Jesus about this? Are you ready? If you don't know what's coming, it's super fun. You ready? Here's what Jesus says next. Verse 29. He says, so if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. 
Evidently, he thought this was pretty serious, didn't he? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. Now that would make an interesting picket sign, wouldn't it? Now that is rough, that is challenging, and without a doubt, and I frankly hope that Jesus was using hyperbole here to make his point, I really do, I'm leaning in, this is hyperbole, he's just being exaggerated, like we're gonna go with that this morning. But Jesus is very clear when it comes to lust, whether you're a man, whether you're a woman, whether it's same sex, whether it's opposite sex, whatever that looks like, lust needs to be dealt with. That is a Christian thing. Because people are made in the image of God and they are not objects. We're to give our life to somebody else, our spouse. That's what that looks like. And so lust, Jesus says, you need to take drastic measures to get that out of your life. It isn't healthy, it isn't helpful, and at no point does Jesus ever compromise with evil going, well, he's just a boy, it's okay. He's like, nope. It's not okay. Get rid of it and deal with it. And so we have to choose to be Jesus followers. We have to choose, do we choose God or do we choose sin? If we choose God, well, then we align our life accordingly. And it's not easy and it's challenging and it's hard, but we commit our life to to giving it to God and get rid of this sin because we've all learned to live a life without sin. So we got to learn to live a life um, without sin. We just got to learn this. But if we choose God, we choose God. If we choose sin, then we choose sin. But the idea that we can choose both doesn't seem to be an option. Jesus never lays that out. Who do you have more desire for? Is it God or your sin? This is the call. One New Testament writer writes, he says, it's better to suffer a minor loss willingly than the ultimate loss unwillingly. And so Jesus took the matter of lust seriously. We're like, all right, well, maybe, maybe that was just Jesus, but, but it's interesting because it, become, because, excuse me, because it becomes a theme throughout the rest of the New Testament. Check this out. Look what Paul says, Ephesians 4. He says, throw off your old sin for nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So lust corrupts. Lust corrupts. We, we know that. We've seen it, and it's not like, well, just a little bit's okay. No, lust corrupts because it treats people as less than people. He says in Colossians, look. He says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy for a greedy person as an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. That's a sermon for another day, isn't it? Peter says the same thing. Well, different way. He says, you've heard, you have, you have had enough in the past of the evil things the godless people enjoy, their immorality and lust, their feasting and drunkenness and wild parties and their terrible worship of idols. That's some of your college experience, isn't it? Well, and military, both of y'all are there. And my point is simple. This isn't a new thing. This is the same thing, but as Christians, we attack one group. But the New Testament writers go after lust itself, all of it, and say, no. 
Throw it away, get rid of it, put it to death. You've had enough of it, get rid of it. Like you gotta kill that stuff inside of you. Love God, love yourself and love other people. Christians are called to love, not lust. And thinking lust isn't a big deal. Well, Jesus thought it was. The rest of the New Testament writers thought it was. And he doesn't give people a pass on it. And he doesn't give you or me a pass either. Just because one sin is culturally acceptable and the other isn't, doesn't make it okay. Remember, it's not about what's legal or right. It's about what Jesus Christ teaches us. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so what do we do about this? Well, Jesus said, pluck out your eye and throw it away. Or cut off your hand, throw that away too. Let's just hope that was hyperbole and let's land on Paul's advice. Here's what he says. He says, run from sexual sins. Includes lust. Run, get out of there, get away. Because no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does for sexual morality is a sin against your own body. And since you're supposed to love yourself, you're sinning against yourself, God, and the other person. There's a whole lot going on in there to which Paul says, run, get away. And I have counseled numerous people who thought it would never go as far as it did. They didn't know they'd spend so much time looking at that stuff. They never thought that relationship would go that far. They didn't mean for that one thing to happen. But listen, you cannot control sin. It doesn't work that way. Which is why Paul says, run. Just get away from it. Run. So how do we apply this? Well, statistically speaking, many of you just need accountability with your computers and phones. Let's start there. The availability of material for lusting after is astronomical in our day and age. So some of you just need to get some accountability. There's a bunch of different stuff out there. They'll go through everything you look at on your phone. It'll send to your wife or send to one of your friends. Have your mom on that list, okay? Put her on there. Really watch what you look at. But yeah, there's accountability in there. You, you need to get it. Maybe not with your mom or your spouse, but maybe with another friend. Maybe they can help you. You need to guard your heart in this matter because it's, it's everywhere. So get some accountability of what you're looking at. And some of you just need to run and get off of social media. It's a breeding ground for lust. And if you didn't know, I'm glad you're here today. There's other way to connect with people than Facebook stalking them. Like you can actually use that device for a phone. It works. I know, I know it's old school, but it like works. And you can text them. But some of you need to get off of social media because you know what it leads to. You know where it takes you. That algorithm sets up. There's a reason why it's that way. I'm just letting you know. And so it's pointing to things. You need to, you need to just run. You need to get off of it. Some of you need to just stop hooking up with people thinking, well, this one's gonna bring me satisfaction. It won't. Lust is void of love. It's empty. That's why you feel bad afterwards. It's not gonna satisfy. We weren't created for that. Some of you need to run from the movies and TV shows you watch. And listen, I'm not the cuss police. I'm just not. But when it comes to nudity and sexual things in our house it's a no-go so any shows movies it's just off limits we don't do that and there's shows I've been wanting to watch for so long like so like I wanted to watch Game of Thrones so bad I just did because I, I like swords I don't know what to tell you I'm just a guy who likes swords so I just if they're willing the sword I just think it'd be cool 
So I wanted to watch it. And I was like, mm, I can't watch it. But I wanted to watch it. I even called my friends the other day. It was a while ago. And I was like, look, I, I, I thought like this time it'd be okay. Maybe I can watch Game of Thrones. But then I looked it up and I was like, yep, still can't watch Game of Thrones. But I get it. But I looked it up and I, I read this John Piper article. If you don't know who he is, he's like, why, should I watch this? Oh, let's see what John Piper says. I already knew what he's going to say. But, but I get the pull to want to do it, to want to be included, want to have the conversations. You don't want to be that guy who's that person who can't really do watch the stuff, but you need to guard your heart. Me not watching a show is, my marriage is far more important than me not watching a show. Me respecting my wife is far more important than me not watching a show. So get rid of that stuff. Some of you need to stop reading those books. It's about the heart. Some of those books and where it's drawing you and taking, you need to get that out. Some of you need to run from those relationships, those things that are causing you to fail. And for younger people, just please don't think marriage is gonna fix the lust issue. It does not. The idea of once I get married, then all my problems will go away. Ask any married person ever, that doesn't happen. It doesn't. Lust is a heart issue. You need to deal with it while you're younger. And if you don't, getting married is not going to solve it. It's just going to compound and probably just get worse. So this is a for everybody thing. And some of you, you just need to make that relationship you're in right. You need to do what Christ has called you to do and stop treating that person as an object and come together as he's asked you to do because lust is empty. It will not satisfy and it will not bring the desires you crave. Christians are called to love that's our four-letter word, love, not lust. And that's in the context of marriage, our sexual desire should be filled between husband and wife. And so Jesus, he raises the bar on what adultery looks like and what it means to be a Jesus follower. And I don't have, and I can't tell you any advice on how to deal with this apart from him. This is something you're gonna absolutely have to come to him with and give it to him. You have to turn over your sexual desires and allow him to do a good work in your life. He may resolve it. He may make you struggle with it your entire life. That's your journey and what you have to work through. But all of us have issues we're fighting against. The scriptures say we're all in spiritual battle. We're all fighting temptation, trying to abide and rest in Christ. And if you're not in a spiritual battle, if you're not fighting against temptation, it's because you've lost and you've given in and you're living in it. You don't understand how hard it is till you fight against it and you have to struggle with it. It's, it's not an easy thing, which is what we're all called to. We're all called to overcome this through Jesus Christ and at least fight fight. That's the calling of the Christian. And so for some of you, it's time or all of us, it's time to start fighting for purity in your life. Start fighting for purity in your marriages and your relationships. Start fighting for purity to enjoy the sexual intimacy the way God created it to be enjoyed. And as a church, if nothing else, if you're like, listen, I haven't dealt with lust issues in a long time. I'm over that. Got it. But as a church, we have to get this issue right. Culturally, we get it wrong. This is the heart of the matter, lust. And instead of attacking certain people with certain sins that may not be your thing or something may be your thing, just know lust is what Jesus goes after. It's a heart issue. Let's not be religious hypocrites and pretend that other people have all their junk and we're just perfectly holy. That's what the people who killed Jesus did. And that's not what he's calling us to do. As Christians, we should be vulnerable. We should be honest. Maybe not with everyone, I get it. 
but we should have somebody we're talking to and working through this with. And remember, if you have failed, there is redemption available through Jesus Christ. When you fail, there is redemption available for you in Jesus Christ. And he wants to free you from that control and he wants you to give him your life. But you have to choose and the choice is this. Do you want God or do you want your sin? You can't have both. And that line in the sand is super helpful for me to think through about any sin. Do I want God or do I want the sin? I'm making a choice right now. Which one do I really want? Do I want God or do I want that sin? Which one am I trusting my life with? Is that sin going to turn out to be satisfying fulfillment and give me eternal life? Or is that only found in Jesus Christ? Well, I'm going with Jesus. I'm going all in on him. But if you have failed, there's forgiveness. And as Christians, we should be so empathetic and so sympathetic with people who are honest and vulnerable about their issues because Christians need to start being honest and vulnerable with their issues. And perhaps, perhaps people would see the church as a place of healing and help because that's what Jesus intended for it to be. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your love and forgiveness. We're so thankful that you see each person as valuable that are made in your image and that you love each and every one of us enough to send your son to die for us. Father, help us see people as your children. Help us see people through the lens of grace and truth. Father, forgive us where we have failed and help us through the power of your spirit to put those things, those areas of our lives that we're allowing sin to fester up. Lord, just help us put that to death. Help us see that we can't have both you and a sinful life. Father, we choose you. Help our desires to grow for you and not for sin. And Father, we know we need you to redeem our sexuality. We know you can redeem our pains and our hurts. You can restore and make new. So Father, help us love you deeper. Help us love ourselves deeper. Help us purge the sin out of our lives. Father, help us then love others. Father, we love you and thank you. It's in the precious name.